Hi, I actually don't know what's the point of this episode, but I guess I'm out of idea. You can say that. But today I'll be telling you guys about being boring, I guess. Well, some people have been calling me boring lately about not having content and stuff. Well, today I'll be talking about boring. Today I'll be telling you guys how not to be boring and signs of a boring person. And if you guys are ready, hit the like, subscribe, and share button, and let's get into it. Well, almost of, uh, all of us have had the experience of being in a conversation where no matter how hard we try, our thoughts keep wandering away from the person in front of us. Nothing ignites the spark of an engaging discussion. It is just boring. What exactly makes someone boring? Boring is a broad, amorphous concept. Unlike a discrete trait, such as the Big Five, openness, cons- uh, consciousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Boredom presents a challenge to researchers aiming to reliably measure and examine the concept. But perceiving someone as boring stems from our capacity for attention. We evolved to focus on the interesting because that involved food, mates, and predators. If something isn't interesting, it's probably not worth our while. Our biologists tell us to get up and do something more important. Uh, most people, of course, aren't dreadfully boring, but it still pays to tune up our small talk from time to time. So today, I'll be telling you guys how not to be boring. Let's get into it. 1. Curb your complaints. Back in the 1980s, uh, Mark Leary, a professor emeritus at Duke University, he conducted one of the few studies to explore exactly what people perceive as a boring personality. The item that topped the list was continually complaining about your problems or negative egocentrism in psychology parlance. Everyone needs to let off steam occasionally, but be sensitive to that situation. Close friends would understand if you need to confide in them about a challenge, but your airplane seatmate might find you incredibly dull after 20 minutes of venting about your evil boss. The decision to complain also pertains to your goals. When struggling emotionally, your primary goal may be to feel better, in which case airing your grievances could be the solution. But if the goal is to build connections at a networking event, complaining could make the interaction tedious for your new contact. You can't achieve all of your goals at once. If your goal is to feel better, rather than to stimulate an interaction you would enjoy, there is nothing wrong with that, Leary says. But do it intentionally, rather than obliviously, to avoid distancing other people. 2. Ask follow-up questions. One of the most common complaints people have after a conversation is that the other person didn't ask enough questions, says Addison Wood Brooks, an associate professor at Harvard Business School. People love talking about themselves and feel good when others show interest. So why do we shy away from asking questions? Our understanding of questions asking may be broken, Brooks says. Many people feel that by asking a question, they'll come across as nosy or rude, especially on a more sensitive topic. 
We overestimate how intrusive our questions will be. Brooks says. Of course, the other reason people may not ask questions is because they're egocentric and incurious. But those folks probably aren't reading、uh, or listening to this episode. If people enjoy being asked questions, they love being asked follow-up questions. Brooks and her colleagues have measured the influence of follow-up questions in a host of different settings to determine that those who ask follow-up questions are often better liked. One study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology in 2017 followed speed daters and found that asking just one more follow-up question each meeting led to an additional date. People even like chatbots better if they ask more follow-up questions. It really seems as if follow-up questions have a special magic to them. To ask good follow-up questions, just listen closely and be curious. Avoid peppering someone with surface-level questions like "Where are you from?" "What do you do?" Instead, after the first question like "Where are you from?", probe their answer to learn more. Do you like going up there? What was that like? Is this behavioral demonstration that you're listening to them and want to know more? That's how everyone wants to feel. Number three, change the topic. Hopping to a new topic more quickly than you might think, polite can prevent a subject from going stale. Brooks and her colleagues instructed study participants to talk naturally or to switch topics more frequently than they normally would when the conversation flowed. The data from their forthcoming report showed that people would learn to shift topics easily. And that they responded to cues of lost interest, like periods of mutual silence. More quickly, most important, both individuals enjoy the conversation more. People may linger on topics for longer than necessary to be polite. Brooks says they don't want to offend the person who brought up the topic or come across as rude or abrupt. But people often feel a sense of relief when someone proposes a new topic, especially if the conversation has stagnated. Shifting topics more quickly also doesn't seem to replace depth with breadth, because the number of follow-up questions and asks in both conditions was comparable. When a topic stalls, speakers don't ask more probing questions; they start to repeat themselves instead. There's a misconception that staying on a topic for a long time leads to greater depth, but we find that it's not true, Brooks says. You squeeze out all the good stuff pretty quickly. This mirrors the experience of clinical psychologist Barbara Greenberg. When patients struggle to make or sustain relationships, one of the tips she provides is to look for hints that a topic is played out. Like if listeners go look away, become quiet, or glance at their phones, pay attention, and people will give you cues. Greenberg says. Four, convey interest with body languages. Another nail in the coffin is. A flat or muted response, when the person you are speaking with doesn't react to you, either positively or negatively, it conveys that they're not invested in the conversation. Leary says this response can make it hard for you to pay attention as well. Some people may not be naturally effusive, or they may have been raised in an environment that discourages emotional reactions. There's nothing wrong with that. If you feel nervous about sustaining a conversation or making a good impression. You can proactively nod, smile, and maintain eye contact, so that the other person feels acknowledged and engaged. That also means setting aside distractions to be fully present. 
Put your phone away and look at the person. That sounds so basic, but it is not anymore. Uh, five. Demonstrate a sense of humor. Laughter can make any conversation more delightful. Humor can also accomplish sneaky and valuable feats. Not only does it make conversations more fun, but it can also help us cope with difficult experiences, deflect uncomfortable questions, and boost group cohesion. Humor even indicates one's position in a social hierarchy. Funny people are seen as higher status than people who don't crack jokes. According to a 2016 study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, so if you're naturally funny, don't be afraid to let your sense of humor shine. Brooks especially recommends the callback, referencing a comment from earlier in the conversation, even if it's not that funny but a little unexpected. Demonstrate humor and competence. But what about situations where humor is risky, like professional settings? And what about those of us who don't view ourselves as comedians? Well, then people appreciate good humor by laughing at or encouraging others' jokes. This is still perceived as warm and engaging. Imagine a two by two grid. One axis represents being funny or not. The other axis represents whether you appreciate humor or not. You just don't want to be in a no-no corner. You'd be a wet blanket. Six, be vulnerable. Revealing vulnerability can lead others to view you more positively. Brooks and her team found that revealing failures on the path to success reduced listeners' feelings of jealousy. When entrepreneurs did the same, it reduced jealousy and instilled inspiration to strive towards success. The results were published this year in the Journal of Experimental Psychology General. The reason may be that people are intimately familiar with their own shortcomings, but often aren't aware of others' imperfections. People are more likely to share positive information about themselves, which gives the impression that others succeed more frequently than they really do. Hearing about those difficult moments can provide relief and help people feel less alone. Sharing your vulnerability side may be especially refreshing today. Revealing failure is particularly Relevant in the social media age, everybody is trying to convey this perfect image online. But behind the scenes, everyone's life is actually a crap show. When executed correctly, Greenberg agrees that vulnerability can interest others and draw them closer to you. For example, someone may seem to have a great job but reveal feeling anxious at work. If you face a similar problem, share the experience to create a closer bond and not be boring. Seven. Catalog successes. People love stories. They are relatable, entertaining, and others can chime in with similar tales. If you notice that your friends or colleagues particularly enjoy one of your stories, keep that anecdote on hand for the future. Telling a crazy family story is always a winner. Everybody's family tends to regress and act a little silly. This is the episode, and I hope you guys don't be boring. I guess. Uh, from this episode on and i hope you guys have a great day or night whatever uh jenna will say thank you hit the like subscribe and share button and i'll see you guys next time goodbye